This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 130. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. So for today's episode, it is February 14th, 2021. Happy Valentine's Day. And being this is the Sunday episode, as usual, I will be covering the latest news and rumors from the big four camera rumor sites. So let's start off with Canon rumors for this week and see what we have. Let's do this. All right. First up, patent for Canon RF mount big white lenses. Big white lenses for the RF mount are a logical next step for Canon, and I was expecting to see at least a couple of them announced ahead of the Tokyo Games this year, but it appears to still be a certain level of flux. So, who knows at this point? Outside of an RF 300 F2.8LIS-USM, all of the optical formulas that appear in this US. PTO patent uncovered by Northlight Images are also part of the rumored RF lens roadmap that I published a while ago. Another of the rumored lenses on our roadmap is an RF 1200mm F8L ISUSM, but I haven't seen any sort of patent reference for such an optical formula just yet. So the first one we have is the Canon RF 300mm f2.8 LIS USM, focal length 292.50mm, f number 2.91, half angle of view 4.23 degrees, image height is 2164, total lens length is 274.19mm, back focus is 52.99mm. For the Canon RF 400mm f2.8 LIS-USM, focal length 390.15mm, f number 2.91, half angle of view 3.17 degrees, image height 2164mm, total lens length 371.16mm, and a back focus of 5490mm. The Canon RF 500 F4L ISUSM, focal length 489.84 millimeters, F number 4.12, half angle of view 2.53 degrees, image height 2164 millimeters, total lens length 385.02 millimeters, and a back focus of 55.61 millimeters. For the Canon RF 600mm F4L ISUSM, focal length 584.72mm, F number 4.12, half angle of view 2.12 degrees, image height 2164mm, total lens length 452.08mm, and a back focus of 55.69mm. And the last one in the patent list is the Canon RF 800mm F56L ISUSM, focal length 789.82mm, F number is 5.88, 
Half angle of view is 1.57 degrees. Image height is 21.64 millimeters. Total lens length is 489.04 millimeters with a back focus of 82.90 millimeters. So this is definitely interesting. It looks like Canon is planning to add some seriously long telephoto lenses to their L lineup in the RF mount. Now, hopefully all of these lenses will become reality because they would fill in as replacements for their EF counterparts, but we'll have to wait and see if these lenses are really part of Canon's legitimate RF lens roadmap. Next up, Canon launches Phil, a photo calling app for iOS. Canon USA has launched a new photo calling app for iOS. Sorry, there's no Android version at this moment. The app retails for $14.99 per year or $2.99 per month. Both options come with a three-day free trial. The photo calling app will go through your library and find images that are similar or low, low quality and will suggest which photos to keep and which photos to delete. Don't worry, though, you still have total control if the AI doesn't agree with you. The app will also rate images based on sharpness, noise, emotion, and whether or not your subjects had their eyes closed. Press release for this, Melville, New York, February 11th, 2021. According to a recent report from Keypoint Intelligence, 1.4 trillion photos were taken worldwide in 2020 and 7.4 trillion images were stored. With these staggering numbers, it could be overwhelming for the average consumer to decide what photos are best to keep and store. Now, delivering expert photo advice in the form of an app, Canon USA Inc., a leader in digital imaging solutions, today announces its photo calling app. Compatible with iOS devices, this brand new app helps determine a user's best photos based on scores against four models, sharpness, noise, emotions, and closed eyes, using Canon's computer vision artificial intelligence engine known as Phil, abbreviated for Photography Intelligence and Learning. Additionally, the app will suggest deleting duplicate photos, making it easy for the consumer to free up space on their smartphone. In quote, in today's ever-changing and overwhelming world where thousands of photos are captured and stored in a person's smartphone, consumers need an expert, reliable, and intuitive photo tool to help them decide the best photos based on years of trusted knowledge and technology, said Tatsuro Tony Kano, Executive Vice President and General Manager of the Imaging Technologies and Communications Group of Canon USA, Inc. Quote, Canon USA's new photo calling app is the answer, and we are proud to see how the company's computer vision technology within this app can assist consumers with finding and keeping their best photos of their fondest moments. The, follow, the photo calling app features two calling options, Whole calling determines the best photos based on the absolute best scores against the four models of sharpness, noise, emotions, and eyes or closed eyes. If the score is over the threshold, the user sets the photo is considered to be the best. The remaining images would be suggested as deletions. Similar calling determines the best photos based on score comparison among similar groups of photos. The highest scoring photos within the group are considered the best photos. A second photo may also be selected as the second best photo within the group. The remaining images would be suggested as deletions. The app is also able to find similar photos and group them together. 
For example, if a user selects 10 photos of a dog and 10 photos of a sunset, it will break the photos into two groups and find the best photo of each, one of the dog and one of the sunset. In addition to, to its culling options, the photo culling app also features photo counts and storage, shows the number of photos a user has, as well as the amount of phone storage on the home screen. Event album, categorizing and placing photos and albums on the home screen. These are dynamic albums based on events, dates throughout the year, and the app will pull events that have a large number of photos and suggest the user review these photos to delete and save space. Features in the settings screen. Displaying the number of photos deleted, the current subscription plan, option for, notifica or, yeah, for notifications, a parameter setting for each score against sharpness, noise, emotion, and closed eyes. Users can also adjust these settings, such as changing how much of an impact noise has on a photo versus closed eyes. Dark and light mode settings screen option. Display screens either as a dark or light mode option. Price and availability available for download via the App Store. The photo culling app will be available under two subscription options, $2.99 per month or $14.99 for the year, each with a three-day trial. For more information, please visit usa.canon.com slash photo calling app. And the photo calling app is hyphenated. And of course, I'll have a link to this article and all of the articles in this week's show notes. So this is definitely an interesting new app. I did get notified by Sony a few days ago that they had released this app. They sent me an email about it. And it is intriguing. I don't think I'll probably sign up for it. I'm really particular when it comes to taking photos with my iPhone. I don't do it very often. Um, and when I do, usually they're uh, a temporary image that I'm going to use for something else. So usually as soon as I get home, I offload them onto my Mac and then delete them from my iPhone. But it is interesting that Canon has come out with this new culling app to help photographers with sorting through quickly and easily their best and worst shots so they know what's a keeper and what they can get rid of. And it helps to keep your phone storage space cleared up. So that's definitely intriguing. Next up, industry news, Sony FX3 leaks ahead of an official announcement. Sony Alpha Rumors is now reporting that this new Sony camera will not shoot 8K and will top out at 4K 120p. Along with this correction, they are reporting that the FX3 will use CF Express Type A and will retail for $37.95. It looks like Sony is going after both Blackmagic Designs and Canon with their next cinema camera, the Sony FX3. It appears to be an E-mount cinema camera with impressive known specs. According to Sony Alpha Rumors, the camera will have the following capabilities and much more. Quote, new 8K ILME video cam. It can shoot UHD 8K over sample DCI 4K, HFR UHD 4K. The exact announcement date is unknown at this time, but I'm sure the leaks will be flowing freely, freely over the next little bit of time. And there are some supposedly leaked photos in this article as well that you can check out. Next up, review Canon RF 50mm f1.8 STM. Dustin Abbott has completed his full review of the Canon RF 50mm f1.8 STM, Canon's most affordable RF lens, sometimes dubbed the Nifty 50 or Thrifty 50. 
It usually finds its way into every Canon shooter's bag at some point in their photographic journey. For the $199 US price tag, you really are getting a lot of lens for your money. However, don't confuse it with the RF 50mm f1.2L USM. It's definitely nowhere as near as good optically or autofocus wise. Even with some caveats, Dustin came away quite impressed by Canon's newest little lens. So, uh, quote, so in conclusion, the Canon RF 50mm f1.8 STM is not only worth buying because it is cheap, but also worth buying because it is competent. No, it's anywhere. No, it's not anywhere near the class of the RF 50mm f1.2L, but that's to be expected. But because of its affordability, there will be more great photos taken with the cheap f1.8 version than the expensive f1.2 lens. The RF 50mm f1.8 will not be a credible impediment to producing top-notch photographs. It's the photographer, after all, who makes the images. A lens is just a tool, and in this case, it's a pretty good tool, and one that most anyone can afford. More of this, please, Canon. And there is also a YouTube video from Dustin in this article that you can check out for yourself to see the video version of his full review on this new lens. Next up, industry news, Sigma FPL camera body appears for certification. Nokashita has uncovered a Korean registration for a Sigma FPL camera body. Not much is known specifications-wise about the new camera, but it looks like this will be the mate to a recently registered EVF-11 from Sigma. The current Sigma FP is claimed to be the smallest and lightest full-frame mirrorless camera on the market, but at 25 megapixels, it could use a higher resolution sibling. So this is definitely interesting. It looks like uh, Sigma is getting ready to release another FP series lens with the L mount. If you're not familiar with it, and I believe I've talked about it a couple of times in previous episodes, Sigma, Panasonic, and Leica have all partnered and created what's called the L mount alliance so that all three of these camera bodies can use the same lenses because they all use the like a L mount. So that's definitely uh, some intriguing news that the Sigmas might be getting ready to release another full frame mirrorless camera body. Next up, stock notice Canon EL1 Speedlight at Adorama. Adorama has stock of the brand new flagship Speedlight from Canon, the EL1. Stock levels are low, so act quickly if you're interested in buying one. Key features, maximum guide number of 197 feet slash 60 meters at ISO 100, zoom flash head with wide range of 24 to 200 millimeters. New rechargeable lithium-ion battery utilizing LC-E6 battery charger. Improved recycling time, 0.9 seconds, and a number of flashes, 335 times. New active cooling system enabling longer operation and improved thermal management. More versatility with minimal power output range of 1 uh, over 8192,000s. LED modeling lamp with adjustable brightness and color temperature, same dust and water resistance as the EOS 1D series, and a new high durability glass flash tube. And of course, you can pick this up at Adorama before the supplies run out because they don't have a large quantity of them in stock. Now, this is definitely interesting. And I talked about the EL1 uh, a while back in one of my episodes. It is an intriguing speed light, but at the, if I remember right, $1,000 price tag, it's definitely one I'm going to pass on. I don't know about my listeners, but 
that's way too much money for a single speed light in my opinion. Next up, updated, scammed the extra battery campaign on Kickstarter. Back in November, I promoted a Kickstarter campaign for the Extra Performance Battery, a very cool-looking battery product for your Canon and other mirrorless cameras. In the past, I've generally only ever promoted campaigns by companies that have had a track record of delivering on their promises. The likes of the curved Peak Design and Gura Gear have never really let anyone down outside of minor delivery delays. This time, however, it looks like we have all been taken, and I would like to apologize for not properly vetting the project because once I dug deeper after the fact, it became apparent that this project was likely a scam from the get-go. When did I become suspicious? I was signed up as an affiliate for the project, and I had spoken directly with the claim CEO, quote, Jeffrey, and I was offered 20% off all sales driven to the project. Being the trusting readers you are, you folks laid out about $18,000 in backing the project, for which I had earned just shy of $3,500, a decent sum to keep the lights on and the server churning. On January 12th, 2021, that payment was due to the Kickstarter platform to be handed out to all of the affiliates. It didn't happen which isn't highly unusual. Sometimes payments are late. I reached out to KickBooster, and they told me that no one from the project had returned any communications about payment. The communication from the project during the campaign was spotty at best. Again, that's not unusual. Sometimes people get tired of answering the same questions over and over. That may not be right, but it is fairly common. So I started to dig deeper and wanted to know more about the CEO, quote, Jeffrey Parker and the CTO, Arthur Lau. Now, for photographers and videographers on the apparent cutting edge of things, there wasn't much to be found out about these two characters out there. So that led me to some using some tools to see if I could track them down by the photographs. Well, Jeffrey Parker was quite easy to find as he looks like a Hong Kong-based model and was likely hired for this project and may not have known what he had actually been hired for. Below is an upsampled picture from the Kickstarter campaign of the claimed CEO, Jeffrey Parker. Below is what appears to be the same person. He appears in all sorts of publications and that appear to be in Mandarin as well as stock images for other products being sold online. I ended up finding about three dozen images of him, but his reported name differs from site to site. Once I had found our, quote, Mr. Parker, I realized that everything was probably nonsense from the start. I have reached out directly to the email addresses I have for the campaign, and I have obviously heard nothing back. They have also stopped replying to anyone on the Kickstarter page. Update one, thanks DVA and you. It looks like our favorite CEO is peddling another project on Kickstarter. The company running this campaign, Sabintech, looks to be legitimate based on past successful projects. Indiegogo is currently still running the campaign. I reached out to them to tell them that it was a scam and that I was ready to provide my evidence. And all I received in return was a canned response and nothing else which is a shame because obviously Indiegogo and Kickstarter don't appear to care. Can I get my money back? This is a tricky question as there is no black and white solution for a backer getting their money back. I was able to get my money back through American Express. I have the Platinum Aeroplane card and it wasn't much of an issue. 
Getting your money back will likely depend on where you live, your bank, and what sort of credit card you paid with. I wish I could give you a more detailed overview of the topic, but there are just too many different scenarios out there. I will say that it's definitely worth your time to call your credit card company and explain it. You can even source this article, No One Likes Scams, Credit Card Companies Especially. Again, I am sorry that I didn't properly vet this project before promoting it. It definitely won't happen again in the future. If I hear anything more, I will update this article. So update two from February 10th, 2021. A few few people have suggested I only wrote this article because I didn't receive affiliate revenue that was due. The collection of affiliate dollars was done by Kickbooster with a due date of uh, January 12th, 2021 to be paid out to me the first day of February. Up until this point, I had continued to receive project details, including my purchase being loaded or locked in and a survey from the campaign. I only noticed my uh, by chance when I was poking around Kickbooster last week that funds had not been collected, so I reached out to Kickbooster. I then noticed that all communication from the campaign had also stopped. This campaign wasn't something that was in the forefront of my thoughts, so I was just writing it out like I always do with Kickstarter. There have been some pretty outlandish comments about affiliate disclosure. Yes, there should have been an affiliate disclosure on the post, like it is site-wide now. However, that would not have changed the fact that people got screwed over by a scam campaign. A couple of dozen sites like me didn't vet this properly, which led to their readers buying into a scam campaign. I have also found nine other sites that affiliated this campaign without any sort of disclosure being an affiliate. None of those sites has owned up to this being a scam. It doesn't make things right, but bad practice runs rampant in this industry. However, I don't believe any of these sites or myself had any bad intentions or purposely wanted to deceive readers. Because I have written this article, many people have been able to get refunds. Unfortunately, not everyone will be able to, but I highly doubt that any other site would have ever followed up on this campaign being a scam. Out of all the sites that promoted it, I have only seen two write an article about it, mostly trying to absolve themselves from any wrongdoing for not doing due diligence before posting about the campaign. I repeat, any site that claims they properly vetted this campaign is being disingenuous. It took me less than five minutes to figure out that, quote, Jeffrey was BS, which is what frustrates me the most. Had I done due diligence before I posted, all of this could have been avoided. Update three, extra response to the lack of communication. Dear backers, first, we are genuinely sorry for the lack of communication. It's challenging for us to send out the regular update during this moment as our entrepreneurial teams uh, encounter both the uh, quarantine and CNY break in China. We took a risk traveling across continents during the last few weeks to ensure our conceptual design would go to market in the coming March. The battery is critically demanded for quality as it matters to every backer's safety. Any mistake or fallacy on our part is not allowed. So we did an on-site GEMBA walk to ensure our supplier's quality is qualified for product manufacturer. We locked one potential manufacturer partner in Shenzhen during the uh, travel. We turned down another in Zhengdao as we can hardly get to our partner due to the escalating pandemic control policy in Shengdong province. 
Alternately, we found a qualified manufacturing partner in Gunzao who passed our quality check. These two qualified suppliers in the recent location or adjacent location can help us build synergy to fulfill the orders. It is also time consuming for us to validate the quality and we also contact global certificate providers to provide product and logistics safety certificates in the meantime. Looking ahead, we have several milestones to reach. One, there are still 208 backers who didn't complete the survey yet. If you didn't finish the post-campaign survey, we can't get the final uh, bill, of, bill of materials to make. It will be another time-consuming uh, option for all backers. The survey is still open and wait for their response. Two, due to the Chinese New Year, the manufacturer's plant already shut down, and we are hoping for their return to work around February 26th. Three, product manufacturer test and certificate uh, certification will be done in March. The first batch of extra will be shipped in April. We will improve the way we communicate. We will post as many pictures as possible about mass production to backers. Thanks for your patience and waiting. All the best, the extra team. That's all well and good, and I'm not sure of the motivation behind this communication. We have the internet everywhere, and there is never an excuse to go radio silent. I also don't know how Kickstarter releases funding to the people behind campaigns. Was this statement merely to slow or stop the Kickstarter Indiegogo investigations that have been confirmed to be happening? Secondly, it doesn't take away from the fact that quote-unquote Jeffrey, as represented in this campaign, doesn't appear to be legitimate. They have never responded to my request for comment directly, which was something that happened on a regular basis at the beginning of their campaign. I would still continue to advise backers to try and get a refund through their financial institutions. No funds have been released to affiliates. For those that are wondering, if affiliate dollars ever do roll my way, they will be donated in one way or another, and I'll be very transparent about it. So this is definitely an interesting article, and if you, my listeners remember, in several articles in the past, I've always warned you about backing Kickstarter or Indiegogo projects. Remember, neither one of those sites is an actual online store. You're giving up your hard-earned money to back a project that will hopefully get into production and get shipped out to customers, but it doesn't always happen. That's why, as he mentioned in this article, it's always best to stick with companies that have a proven track record on Kickstarter, like Peak Design. And last up from Canon Rumors for this week, Canon updates its popular speedlight transmitter with the new STE3RT version 2. Canon this past week announced the STE E3RT version 2 to not much fanfare. This comes ahead of the release of the new flagship flash, the Speedlight EL1. There has been no official announcement from Canon USA, but the new transmitter is available for pre-orders at U.S. dealers. Key features up to five groups or 15 individual flashes can be controlled via one transmitter. Supports ETTL2 flash, manual flash, stroboscopic, and auto external flash metering. Eight types of custom functions, three types of personal functions, high-performance hot shoe contacts for reliable information transmission and operation, channels only one, connection type, hot shoe, equipment type, transmitter, slave type, radio slaves. Canon Europe today announces the STE3RT version 2, an update of the popular transmitter, enabling wireless flash synchronization and multiple control of speed lights positioned up to 30 meters away. This new transmitter gives professionals greater creative freedom in both a studio and natural environment. It supports key features of the recently introduced Speedlight EL1, 
and also enables new capabilities when using previously launched RT speedlights, including wireless radio, second curtain synchronization. Other new features of the speedlight include support or the transmitter includes support for the speedlight EL1's low power 1 over 8192 uh, 8, seconds uh, micro flash. And for photographers who use manual flash, the transmitter boasts a new FE memory mode. High quality flexible capture the, through introducing radio wireless transmission and second curtain synchronization this new transmitter releases the flash at the end of a long exposure as a result it helps photographers produce natural looking images when capturing moving subjects the transmitter offers this feature as a new wireless option giving users flexibility in a range of shooting scenarios when shooting with large aperture and or high iso speed the flash level can often overpower the subject and scene this forces the photographer to change settings or setup ultimately losing the look they desired when partnered with the Speedlight EL1, the transmitter's 1 over 8,192 8, seconds microflash adds a beautifully subtle nuances of light without disrupting the atmosphere and ambient light reflected on set. This feature is perfect for fashion and portrait photographers looking to capture scenes with natural atmosphere. Building on the original transmitter's flexible qualities, the STE3RT version 2 supports FE memory, offering a quicker and more convenient manual flash setup, alleviating the need for multiple test shots. Professionals now have the option to perform an initial shot in ETTL mode, capturing the ETTL flash settings. Users can then switch the speed lights to manual flash to allow for manual adjustments where needed, all whilst retaining the original ETTL settings. Maximizing product lifespan, Canon Europe plans to offer a rechargeable service update for existing STE3RT users to include the new additional features and capabilities of the version 2. Further information and dates of this service update will be announced soon. So this is definitely intriguing, and it's good to see that Canon is still innovating with their flash transmitters and their flash systems overall. It looks like this particular flash transmitter is going to be an exciting new piece of gear that a lot of photographers are probably going to want to have in their kit. So that wraps up our Canon rumors for this week, and now we're going to head on over to Nikon rumors. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191, and you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com, and you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now, back to the show. And we are back. So now we're going to head on over to Nikon Rumors and see what they have for us this week. All right. First up from Nikon Rumors, Nikon Z72 camera review by Jeff Livingston. My experience shooting with the uh, Z72 by Jeff Livingston. You can check out his website, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as his previous guest posts. 
I received my new Nikon Z2 or Z72 in late December. Since then, I have used it in a variety of situations, from professional jobs to personal projects to simple walkabouts. Throughout the article, you will see random shots from some of those situations, as well as a couple from a Z62 I rented while I waited for the camera. The Cliff Notes version of this review, the camera performed well in almost every situation, and I am very happy. I generally feel it is a significant step up from my Nikon D850. A few caveats before diving in. I read this blog I read this blog every week and how many of you are excellent technical professionals. I am not a mathematical photo blogger and this review will not compare the pixel noise and dynamic range of eight cameras side by side. That type of review belongs to professional journalists journals and video bloggers. This article simply represents my personal experience with the camera. I love photography and I'm fortunate enough to get paid to do it sometimes. My work is conceived on a conceptual level. I dream of images, not light equations. Figuring out the mechanics is almost always the second or third step for me. I use a camera to achieve my vision and only care if the equipment can do that well and consistently. Why the Z7 II? I bought the 46 megapixel Z7 II because of my architecture, landscape, and in-studio work. I already own a Nikon D850, an infrared converted D810, a Fuji X-T3, and have a full complement of Nikon and third-party F-mount lenses. However, I needed a new 14-24 lens. I killed my old one through wear and tear for architecture work. I also wanted a 50mm for everyday street photography. The prior architecture work demanded a new 14-24 lens. If I was going to buy the incredible 14-24 f2.8z lens, then I wanted more resolution. However, in hindsight, I was very impressed with the Z6 during my one-week rental. Buying a Z permitted a gradual migration to full-frame mirrorless without causing me to throw out the proverbial F-mount babies with the bathwater. The lower cost of an almost complimentary $50 FTZ lens converter package compared to the pricier 45-megapixel Canon R5 made it a no-brainer. I saved $450 on the package and made my old lenses usable on the new body. I did not consider the 60-megapixel Sony a7R4 due to past issues experienced with rentals. My general issue with Sony remains build quality and low-light performance, though my friends say newer models have resolved those issues over the past 18 months. I did not consider the Panasonic, Panasonic Lumex full-frame mirrorless camera, as I have heard almost nothing about their performance. In summary, at this price point, I felt Nikon delivered the best quality, high-resolution camera and given my old F-mount lenses the most obvious value. Positive Performance Observations I put the camera to the test during inauguration week while I was out shooting images for the last chapter of a book I was working on. Then I shot several professional and personal project photos with it, as well as corporate video shoots. The Z performed very well in all cases. In addition, the camera is quite handy as a walkabout camera. While I normally carry a Fuji for casual walkabouts, I find myself grabbing the Z almost every time now. It's that good and tons of fun. I can't always say that about the equally good but much heavier D850. Here are more some specific positives about the Z7 II. The mirrorless Z body is significantly lighter. Frames per second, both mechanical and silent, are extremely fast compared to the D850. Silent mode is truly silent. Frankly, mechanical is pretty quiet as well. 
The in-body image stabilization is outstanding. The two Z lenses I purchased, the 14-24 Beauty and the Nifty 50 1.8, perform extremely well, tack sharp end-to-end. I love shooting with the 50. It is great for walking around. The LCD panel on the more professional 14-24Z is a godsend. The autofocus is a significant step up from the D850 most of the time. Uh-oh. In particular, the iFocus technology works well during portrait shoots. In the few cases I used the FTZ to date, it offered a seamless experience between old lenses and the new camera. Focus breathing for video was a non-issue. The video files are sick, just incredibly sharp with that excellent Nikon color science. The image files are fantastic and the color science has improved with more Fuji-like options. Less buttons are better. SnapBridge mobile connectivity works well for this camera. Thank God you finally fixed it, Nikon. Recent firmware made it better on my D850 as well. The 2020 Nikon Z autofocus system is actually quite good. While I have some critiques on it in my negative observation section, in my in many instances it offers a step up over the D850. It is also a major step up from my Fuji X-T3 AF particularly for face detection. Much of the frustration is because I have become accustomed to to it working so well that when it doesn't, it really pisses me off, LOL. The IBIS is a huge win here compared to the D850, especially for a high megapixel camera. IBIS in the Z makes the full frame 46 megapixel camera suddenly much more effective for casual street and event photography. You can shoot from the hip with this camera. Combined with the AF technology, panning is better, particularly on human subjects. I have seen a few photographers complain about the simplified Z-Body interface. Given I have big hands and I'm not the most nimble person, fewer buttons to accidentally bump is a plus. I just care about the basics in the field. ISO, manual, or aperture, shutter, f-stop, white balance, continuous shooting, timer, and bracketing. The custom button and dial options are just enough for my needs. Diving into the menu is fine for more specific functions. If the situation demands more finesse, then that I stop shooting to adjust. Negative observations. No camera system is perfect, and to present, it is such as such would be wrong. Let's not kid ourselves with an utopian gloss over. Here are my negative perceptions of the Z7 II. When the autofocus locks onto the wrong subjects, it's a battle to correct it. Jared, Jared Poland breaks this down, breaks down this issue as well. Sometimes the AF struggles to detect short-range subjects, stubbornly defaulting to the farthest item in the frame. The AF has difficulty locking on the subject in some low-light situations. The joystick fails in comparison with the camera's touchscreen focus capability. Intuitive AF, not so much. You need to read the Z7 II reference manual to understand the AF. If you have big hands, you will need a grip extender. Lack of portrait lens choices in the Z lens lineup, currently the only prime offering is the 85 f1.8, which is reviewed well, but will not be the premier lens in the lineup. Overall lack of telephoto depth in the Z lens lineup, hopefully to be resolved soon. No third-party lenses of note to fill in the gaps. Image rendering looks well, mirrorless at times. If you are knowledgeable about the historic Z series flaws, then many of the autofocus complaints are true. However, they are more of a nuance or a nuisance than anything, and certainly nowhere nearly as bad as reports of the Versa Z6 and Z7 series cameras.
Those original 2018 autofocus issues coupled with a single card slot crippled sales and hurt Nikon's entry into the mirrorless world. I committed to buying the first Z6 but canceled my order after reading initial reviews from photographers in the field. The wrong subject locking drives me crazy in some street-slash-photojournalism scenarios. Sometimes you just need to shoot manual. While it happens only a small fraction of the time while shooting inauguration scenes, when I hear an event photographer say they chose to buy a Canon or Sony because of this matter, I get it. The rest of the autofocus issues are nitpicks. Nikon is probably only one or two updates away from being on par with Canon and Sony. In the interim, I can live with the challenges. About the mirrorless camera image quality comment, my primary resistance against mirrorless has been a missing quality to the light. There is an intangible, ethereal value that a DSLR seems to capture, perhaps best seen in the slight dust haze of a light beam. However, DSLR is a mature technology that, for the most part, will not evolve anymore. The future is certainly mirrorless. In summary, while the camera has foibles, they are all addressable or are not unique to the system. Based on performance to date, I will be happy with my Z7 II. I anticipate that happiness will only increase as the system evolves. In conclusion, my camera purchase decision come down to features, uh, economics, how real uh, photographers and not video bloggers review them and or they perform on a trial run. The price point matched the technology needs for me, plus I have had good experiences with Nikon, so I trusted the brand. That trust was rewarded with this particular camera. A word about the Z6 II, my experiences in the studio and on the street with the 24 megapixel Z6 II were very good. In fact, I liked the low light and sensor color performance a bit more. The Z6 II is the better and more cost-effective choice if you don't care about high-resolution images for professional work. If you are on the fence about the Z Mark II cameras, I hope this review was helpful to you. Cheers. So this is definitely a great review on the Z7 II, and hopefully it'll help answer a lot of people's questions before they pull the trigger on buying that particular camera body. So good job, Jeff. Next up, Nikon Nikkor Z50mm f1.2s compared to the Sigma 50 1.4 DGHSM Art and other lenses. A quick Z50 1.2s $2,096.95 versus Sigma 50mm 1.4 DG HSMR, which priced at $949, and other lenses comparison by Darius Breeze. See also his previous post, click on images for a larger view. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, this article and all the others will be in the show notes so that my listeners can check them out for themselves. Additional coverage of the Nikkor Z50 f1.2 lens can be found in a sister article. So that is definitely some interesting information and a good comparison between the Nikon lens and the Sigma lens. Editing editing pics with Nikon's free capture NXD, is it worth saving money working with free software? Editing pics with Nikon's free capture NXD... Uh, can save you some money when you buy an expensive camera. You also need powerful computer and some post-processing software. It all adds up money-wise, but actually Nikon offers you a free picture viewing software, ViewNX-I, and a free post-processing software, the Capture NX-D. While obviously Capture NXD may not be seen as the most sophisticated by professionals, this application enjoys the reputation of featuring 
one of the best raw converters, if not the best. And with Capture NXD, you can process a picture in less than a minute. Let's see if it is good enough for your needs. In my daily work as a semi-pro, I mainly shoot cars, portraits, and cityscapes. I try to finish the pics as much as possible in camera. So what I need is a good raw converter and quick processing tool. I rely solely on Capture NXD for my post-processing work. Our test picture is of a VW Polo R5 rally car, a very potent weapon in the category just below the WRC rally cars. You will, of course, want to use one of your own shots in the following process. Like any other picture I take, it was shot in RAW to enable the highest picture quality and the most editing options. If you shoot JPEG, you are bound to lose the number of editing options. In View NX-I, for a start, I view all pictures in View NXI. In this application, I can easily check picture data. This pic was taken with the Nikon D850 and a Nikkor VR200-500 F5.6E at 500mm. Focus mode AF-C at F8, 1 hundredths of a second in manual mode with ISO auto, and the ISO was set, uh, automatically set to 360. I write... I now right-click on the picture and open it in Capture NXD. You can also browse and open pics in NXD. In Capture NXD, the main thing to work with are the three symbols in the top right corner of the screen, exposure, white balance, and picture control. First, click on the exposure symbol. The histogram is okay, but there is no overexposure. Active D lighting was set to auto, but as the front of the car is a little bit darker, I chose high. Next, click on the white balance symbol. White balance was natural light auto, but as the car is sunlit, I chose direct sunlight. No big difference. The camera gets it right. Next, click on the picture control symbol. The pic was taken with SD or standard, but we want much more color. So I chose picture control VI vivid. In real life, I adjust all this in camera before shooting, but this is obviously a test. You may increase sharpening and saturation if you wish. For cropping and straightening, I use the tools in center top of the screen. I tilted the car a bit to the left to add a little bit of drama, and I cropped a bit. That's all I did. This picture was finished in less than a minute. The original, of course, measured 8,256 by 5,520 pixels. The crop version is 6,285 by 4,190 pixels. Still more than enough to easily make a 1 by 1,5 meter print or 40 by 60 inch. The View NX Capture NXD combo, though free of charge, of course, has a lack of facilities uh, not tested here, such as batch processing or loading XMP slash IPTC presets, which comes in handy when you upload pictures to professional picture sharing sites where media, uh, media can buy and download your photos. In conclusion, while I would never claim that Capture NXD can fulfill the demands of every single pro or enthusiast, I would just recommend that you test it yourself in order to see if this free application can do your daily processing work, thereby saving you money otherwise spent on expensive processing applications. So that's definitely an interesting article, and uh, I'm glad that he has a good experience with the Capture NXD software. I personally have never been a big fan of using the free software that the camera manufacturers give you with the camera. I don't use uh, any of Canon software for processing my Canon RAW files or Fuji software for processing the images from my GFX 50R. I rely on Capture One Pro 21. Next up, SIPA December numbers are out with full year 2020 report. Uh, 
SEPA, Camera and Imaging Products Association in Japan, published their camera production data for November 2020. Orange is 2020, black is 2019, blue is 2018. December 2020 SIPA numbers, full calendar year came in at 5.308 million ILC bodies. It was 8.46 million in 2019, 10.76 million in 2018, and 11.68 million in 2017. Cumulative mirrorless ship value is now 255% of DSLR ship value. Full year 2020 comparison, DSLR units 2.375 million, which is down 47%. DSLR ship value uh, 96.76 billion yen, down 45%. Mirrorless units 3.957 million, down 26%. Mirrorless ship value 247 billion yen, down 13%. Compact units 3.579 million, down 47%. Compact ship value 76.36 billion yen down 41 percent lenses for smaller than 35 millimeter units 5.4 million down 42 percent lenses for smaller than 35 million uh, millimeter ship value 76 billion yen down 41 percent lenses for 35 millimeter and larger units 3.622 million down 26 percent lenses for 35 millimeter and larger ship value 176.35 billion yen also down 26 percent Mirrorless unit share of mirrorless plus DSLR, 55.3%, was 46.8% in January to December of 2019. Mirrorless ship value share, 71.9%, was 61.8% in 2019. The ratio of lenses shipped to body shipped is 1.70 for 2020. It was 1.68 for 2019. So there you have all of the official data from SIPA for 2020. Next up, new monster adapter LA-FE1 Nikon F-mount lens to Sony E-mount camera with autofocus, aperture control, and more. Monster Adapter announced a new LA-FE1 adapter that lets you attach Nikon F-mount lenses to Sony E-mount cameras while providing autofocus, aperture control, and more. I'm not going to read all of the detailed specs on this because this episode is starting to run pretty long already, uh, but it is good to see that Monster Adapter is still innovating and still releasing new products to allow you to use uh, one manufacturer's lenses on another manufacturer's body. So that's definitely intriguing and exciting news. And last up for this week from Nikon Rumors exclusive discount codes for the new per gear 10mm F8 pancake lens for Nikon Z mount. I received some exclusive discount codes for the new per gear 10mm F8 pancake lens. More info is available in an accompanying article. Amazon US use code 059AHRZQ for 5% off. Amazon Canada use CS2FH7XZ8. For 10% off, Amazon UK use PJZKC53A for 10% off. On the PerGear website, use code new exclamation point PerGear 10 millimeter for 8% off. And that is going to wrap up Nikon rumors for this week. Okay, and now we head on over to Fuji rumors for this week. Saving, uh, savings on Fujifilm recommended anchor power core speed 
20,000 PD and PowerCore Plus 26,800 PD battery banks. Amazon has a deal running on the new Anchor PowerCore battery banks, which are officially recommended by Fujifilm to power and charge their X and GFX series cameras. On the Anchor PowerCore 20,000 PD, you can save 17%. The Anchor PowerCore Plus 26,800 milliamp hours save $30 thanks to coupon code applied at checkout. I own the Anchor PowerCore Plus and I am very satisfied with it. I use it mainly to charge my MacBook Pro when I'm out on the road, but of course it works great also to charge my Fujifilm batteries. So it is good to see that we have some discount codes there for those items if you want to pick one up for yourself to use in the field to charge your gear. Next up, DP Review TV, Sony a7 III versus Fujifilm X-T4, which is best. The Sony a7 III and Fujifilm X-T4 are both amazing cameras. DP Review compares image quality, autofocus, lens selection, and more to try to determine which one is right for you. Read also, the Sony a7C proves my point, full frame compromises versus APS-C balance. Uh, there is a lengthy summary in here from the article in the article, uh, but you can go ahead and watch the video if you prefer, which will be in the show notes. New deals: Fujifilm XT4 with lens XS10, XT30, XT3 in Europe. New Fujifilm cashback deals have started all over Europe. Down below, I will list the deals for Germany, Italy, and UK. Note that only UK offers a rebate on the XS10, as well as a nice trade-in deal for the GFX100S purchase. Also in the UK deals with the X-T4 are cashback deals, whereas the ones with the X-T3, X-T30, and XS10 are instant rebates. You have to purchase via official Fujifilm retailers. Amazon is included in the list of authorized retailers for Germany and Italy, but you must make sure that the gear you buy is shipped and sold by Amazon, not from marketplace sellers. Amazon is not included in the official retailer list for UK. So on the X-T4, the XF23mm f1.4, you can save 200 um, at Amazon DE, Calumet DE, Wex UK, Park UK, Jessup's UK, and Amazon Italy. The XT4 with the XF8 to 16 f2.8, you can save 300. Amazon, uh, all of the same previous retailers. The XT4 with the XF16 to 55 f2.8, save 300. The XT4 XF50 to 140 2.8, save 300 euros. Uh, body or kit with 18 to 55 or 16 to 80. The X-T3 body, you can save 200 euros. Uh, the X-T3 with the XF 18 to 55 or 16 to 80, you save 200 euros. The X-T30 body or kit, save 60 or save 100 euros. And the XS10, save 50 uh, at Wex UK, Park UK, and Jessup's UK. Once you get your gear, you can claim your money back at the Fujifilm Connect website. Uh, here is the link for Germany, Italy, and the UK included in this article. So it's definitely cool that there are some rebates going on right now on Fujifilm gear in Europe. Next up, Fujifilm Camera Remote 4.7.0 adds Fujifilm GFX100S and XE4 support. Uh, now it supports the GFX100S and the XE4, bug fixes and performance improvements. You can download the iOS version at the App Store. The Android version should be available soon in the Google Play Store. Using this app is the most frustrating part of my Fujifilm experience. You can buy the GFX100S at B&H Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Focus Camera, and Moment. The Fujifilm XE4 is available for the same from the same retailers.
So if you want to get either one of those cameras, they are available, but most likely in limited quantities. Next up, the curious case of the Fujifilm XF50 f1.0, the most loved worst lens ever, is hard to find in the U.S. and widely available in the in European Union. The Fujifilm XF50 1.0 is a curious lens for two reasons. First, it was announced back in September 2020, and until today, it is still very hard to find in stock in the U.S. Sure, the pre-orders exceeded by far Fuji's expectations, said Fujifilm themselves. And also, here on Fuji Rumors, it was the very, uh, by far, very best-selling lens Fujinon XF series of 2020, beaten in terms of sale, uh, in terms of lens sales, only by one very affordable third-party option. The strange thing here is that the Fujinon XF50 1.0 is widely available in the European Union. You can find it in stock, for example, at Amazon DE, Calumet DE, Wex UK, Park Cameras UK, Amazon UK, and many actual box stores. No idea why there is this discrepancy. Second, the Fujifilm GF uh, XF50 1.0 was declared the worst lens of 2020 by DP Review TV due to the lens being soft and showing too much chromatic aberration. But it became clear that uh, opinions would divulge quite a bit. Christopher Forrest called it easily the sharpest lens he had ever tested at f1.0. Camera Labs said it has tremendous details from center to corner. And ePhotoZine concluded in their technical analysis that the chromatic aberration control is impressive and called the lens magical. Now looking at the first and rather enthusiastic customer reviews at Amazon US here and B&H Photo, we can say there is probably not much wrong with this lens. That's the curious case of the XF50 1.0, the most loved worst lens ever that is finally easy to get all over the world, unless you live in the United States. And last up for Fuji rumors for this week, Fujifilm XS10 Gariz Leather Half Case. Gariz has released the Fujifilm XS10 Leather Half Case. It is available at Amazon US in black, Amazon US in brown, and also eBay. The Fujifilm XS10 is available at BH Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Moment, and Focus Camera. And that wraps up the Fuji rumors for this week. So let's head on over to Sony Alpha Rumors. First up from Sony rumors for this week, new Sony FX3 image leaked and first specs, 12 megapixel sensor and does have IBIS. Gaston Shutters, a YouTube channel, shared new pics of the Sony FX3 and also some specs. His source said it, this is basically the same as an A7S3 camera. 12 megapixel full frame sensor, no neutral density built in, has still mode. It has IBIS with active mode. Same NPFZ100 battery. Place, price is 3,795 euros. Takes CF Express Type A cards. Records 4K at 120 and does not do 8K. Pre-order starts on February 23rd. And you can also check out his YouTube video about these new rumors on the FX3. Next up, Tony Northrup thinks the FX3 is better than the A7S3. From a purely cinematography point of view, he might be right. I think the XF3 might be a bigger deal than Sony expects. The FX3 looks like a perfect balance of size and features at a relatively decent price. I will bet Sony will sell a ton of these. The known specs are, as I mentioned a moment ago, €3,795. Euros, take CF Express A cards. 
and uh, records 4K at 120p, no 8K, pre-order start February 23rd. If you happen to know more about the specs of this camera, drop me an anonymous message using his contact form and send me an email at sonyalpharumors at gmail.com. And as I mentioned in previous episodes, take everything from Sony Alpha Rumors with a grain of salt, and I'm not trying to be mean to the owner of the site, but the site does not have a very good track record of only about 5% accuracy when it comes to rumors. Next up, rumors Sigma will announce a new 28-70 f2.8 FE lens on February 24th. They're planning to announce this lens. It will compete against the Tamron 28 to 75 millimeter FE and cost around $900, according to Nokashida. Next up, the new Sigma FE Zoom will be announced on February 24th and complete uh, compete against the Tamron 28 to 70. That was mentioned in the previous article, so I don't know why he repeated it in two articles back to back. That's kind of strange. Next up, another Sony FXE image leak and unconfirmed specs list. The reliable specs so far, I mentioned earlier, a new source also sent me this, but I don't know if it is all correct. New FX3 is a little bit uh, similar to the A7S3, has active cooling XLR adapter in box, C or S Syntone, no overheating after 13 hours of 4K, all in 10-bit 422. Three quarter holes on top, two for XLR adapter, one free, and three fourths on both sides. Price is 4,500 euros. SOR, no, no, uh, don't know if the 3750 euro price I got is with or without that, which would explain the difference in the two rumors. And last up from Sony Alpha Rumors for this week, leaked the Sony FX3. This is all the same stuff. I don't know why he repeated this in like four different articles. <laughs> it's the same information over and over again in four different articles. So I apologize. I hadn't had time to pre-read all the articles before I recorded this episode. So I do want to apologize to my readers for kind of wasting their time on the uh, content from Sony Alpha Rumors for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, and that is going to wrap up episode 130 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Also wanted to remind you that the first book in my Forgotten Pieces of Georgia series is now for sale, the Northwest Counties. You can pick up a copy at the liamphotography.net online store. 
to get a signed copy, or you can get an unsigned copy from Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I also wanted to ask all of my listeners to check out my YouTube channels, Aperture Assassin, as well as the project channels for Forgotten Pieces of Georgia and Forgotten Pieces of Pennsylvania. Please swing by there, like, subscribe, share out the videos, hit the notification bell so you'll know when new videos drop. And I also wanted to let all my listeners know the tripod contest did end, and the winner was Justin H., and he did receive his prize uh, this past Friday. Uh, There will be more contests coming in the near future, so make sure you check out each week's episode to find out when the new ones will start. For some exciting news, this coming Thursday's episode, I'll actually be conducting an interview with photographer Dave Kelly and actress, model, and geologist Ellie Cat. So Ellie will be back on the show. Very excited about that. And I know my listeners are. Her episodes, as well as Jill Mott's episodes, are hands down the most popular ones on the show thus far. All right. I want to thank you all once again, and I will see you all again in another seven days. <laughs>